This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Happy Pride Month, everyone. This week, we're celebrating pride with a story from an individual who is the true definition of the word icon. Join us as Dion shares how the day Uncle Sam came calling for him turned out to be the day he came out and started down the path towards becoming the legend he is today. Recorded live in Chicago in June 2021, Second Story is proud to present Your Hair. Where's your hair? In 1971, while in the midst of sexual denial, I received a letter from Uncle Sam. Back then, receiving such a letter from the U.S. government, known as a friendly greeting, meant you needed to register for the draft into the United States Army. Suddenly, my world turned dark. I used to get beat up by bullies in vacant lots. How was I going to hold a gun at 18 and shoot someone point blank? The United States was at war with Vietnam, and like most, I wanted no part of it. Let me just say, to be forced to be a murderer did not appeal to me or most of my generation. At the time, most people thought I was gay, but me, not believing this, kept me on that well-known river in Egypt called Denial. I devised a plan knowing how the U.S. Army felt about being homosexual, which was the overall politically correct title placed upon us at the time. For the government, this was a big no-no. Even so, I knew I had to do something, for I had no need to crawl through mud, getting dirty, shooting with some sort of official government-issued weapon. I went to my cousin Wilbur's house, my gay cousin Wilbur's house, and raided his wardrobe, putting together the gayest outfit that I could muster. I stood in front of the floor-length mirror in his bedroom and suddenly felt different. I felt like Nellie Woods in Gypsy. Wilbur, I, 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 I'm gay, Wilbur replied. Bitch, please. The friendly greeting instructed me that I had a 9.30 a.m. appointment sharp on Van Buren and State for my physical. I didn't get out of bed on the south side, which I still lived with my parents until 9.30. Going back to Wilbur's, I dressed in the outfit of life. A tight red cotton knit midriff top. Tight, I mean skin tight red hip huggers. Elephant bell bottom jeans that hung off my imaginary hips and the tallest clogs ever. I purchased a huge oversized Angela Davis Afro wig and picked it out to glorious perfection, topping it off with a burnt orange suede vest with long floor-length beaded fringe, adding a floor-length shoulder bag which held my ID, money, and lip gloss and letter. I felt brilliant. 
but I'm sure the occupants at the intake office thought I looked as if I had just stepped out of a Fat Albert cartoon special. Arriving at the intake station around 2 p.m., I boldly switched my little ass, I was much smaller back then, in front of the counter. Bending over, I reached deep down in my bag for my papers. As I did, my friends separated to reveal the peach fuzz that was just starting to grow above my crack to the boys in the room. I handed my greeting papers to the officer and started a rant. Sorry I woke up late. I had the hardest time trying to find this place. You know, when you people send out these notices, you should have the directions along with them. It would make it so much easier. While I ranted, I didn't notice that the officer was circling the time on my paper. I was just about finishing my rambling as he slammed his fist on the table and in a stern voice said, what time was you supposed to be here? Uh, 9.30. He slammed his fist down again. And what time is it? Looking at him over my rhinestone-trimmed red sunglasses, I said, I don't know, sir, just a minute. I turned to the man behind me. Excuse me, could you tell me what time it is? While looking me up and down, stunned, he replied, Uh, 2.15. Thanks! Turning back to the officer, I said, Uh, 2.15. Then what the hell are you coming up in here more than five hours late? Strip down to your skivvies, put your clothing in a basket, and get back in line. Uh, excuse me, sir. Do you mean everything but my underwear? Are you hard of hearing? I said everything. So I removed everything, meaning everything, including my hair, which I placed neatly in the provided basket. I anticipated that they would possibly make me remove my hair, so I had my hair cut into a smart little crew cut. Returning to the line, one of my fellow recruits asked, Hey, your hair, where's your hair? Did they shave your head already? Nah, I just took it off. He looked at me as if I had lost my mind. The first part of the physical was like your basic physical at a regular doctor. They checked my heart, my reflexes, ears, and my throat. I flew through all that with no problem. However, in the next room, they asked questions. Have you ever had a heart attack, falling arches, high blood pressure, and such? I flew through saying, no, 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 until they asked, are you homosexual? I responded with pride for the very first time ever in my life publicly. Yes, I am. But he kept going through his list. Did he hear me? Two or three more no's. He stopped in, he stopped in his tracks. Wait a minute. Did you say you're a homo? Uh, yeah, I did. Looking at me in disgust, he ended the interview. 
Put your clothes on and get your ass in the next room for the written test. In the next room, all the walls were gray, which made the atmosphere chilly and depressing. What have I done? I've dressed in this ridiculous outfit. I look like a tall red stalk of broccoli. I've declared to the world and myself a new sexuality, and I'm still being drafted. My nerves made my fingertips tingle. The quiet was deafening. Boys already seated lowered their heads as I passed, using me as a comical distraction. But I knew we all had a universal thought. We were about to be sentenced to be mangled, maimed, shot at, made mindless, or murdered, murdered in a war that none of us had anything to do with. Once the room filled, the officer informed us that the written test was to judge, in his words, just how stupid we were. It would determine should we get an office job or be shipped off to fight. My heart dropped. If I must go, I need to make it as easy as possible. I made sure every answer was answered to perfection. After the test, we were sent to another room to receive our draft status. Have I done it? Am I about to be shipped away from my loved ones here? My stomach grumbled. I felt like I was going to throw up. They called my name. Walton. I walked toward the woman seated behind the desk, envisioning her as an electric chair. She handed me a white card. I slowly looked down with watery eyes. My status? 1H, not eligible for the draft. Relieved, I felt as if I would faint. I got myself together, feeling victorious with an overjoyed heart. Then, as I was leaving, a recruiting officer stopped me. Mr. Walton, may I speak with you? He stated I scored extraordinarily high on the test. You know, if you didn't mention that you are homosexual, we would send you to college free of charge, pay you a good salary, and you would never see a moment of combat. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Deny my newfound sexuality and become a part of a murderous regime? I don't think so. We both stood in disbelief. He, because he couldn't believe that I would refuse, and me, because I couldn't believe he had the nerve to ask. He informed me that in time I would change my mind, stressing the fact that I wouldn't have to fight. I would work in an office. They would pay me well while furthering my career. As long as I hid my true feelings, my true self, locking my sexuality away in some sort of cubbyhole. Bending over once again, reaching deep into my bag, retrieving my lip gloss, I proclaimed, I have been closeted far too long. Just then, my hair fell over my eyes and one of the misfortunate 
draftees left out the door, allowing a warm summer breeze to blow through the room. As the breeze blew through, rustling my beaded fringe, I brushed my bangs out of my face, adjusted my red rhinestone-trimmed sunglasses, and exclaimed, Ah, uh, uh, no. We'll be in touch, and you will change your mind. During the next year, until the draft was eliminated, they called me constantly, offering me money and more money, college, world travel, and stuff. But I held to my stilettos. I had a different plan for myself, a plan that burned deep in my unknown soul, a ground plan that would lead me to a different battlefield right here at home. My future blueprint didn't include my family, job, or at least of all, the U.S. Army. My life was about to take on a life of its own. For this unknown, unplanned path would change me forever. This story was curated by Amanda Delheimer, Lizzie Dzinski, and Andrew Riley, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamak, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.